This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I have just gotten back from the mountains, spent a couple days up in the Smokies, which you would think would like calm someone down and get them real settled. But if anything, I just feel the anger and the no chill rolling through me. So I'm, I'm not pulling any punches tonight. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. I got a lot. I'm, I'm excited about this card coming up, but you know, it's just been like one of those weeks where you do a lot of driving. And I know AB, you understand that like as someone who drives a lot that you just get like every last nerve frayed by the end of it. And all you want to do is just move in a shack in the woods. So I've been fighting that urge lately. Well, I'm glad to hear that there are going to be no punches pulled by Iron Mike Spears on this episode. We're also joined by another man who pulls no punches and has, I've heard, at least four pairs of $400 sunglasses. It's Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron. I don't know what you're talking about with respect <laughs> to the sunglasses. I was going to do no banter, but I did want to comment that I think it's great that Mike has left the you know isolated ranch in the past and he has seen the light of the Unabomber, and now he's looking at moving into a shack in the woods, which is the best way to do it. You, you know, I, I've i written a bunch of stuff over the last few weeks about Dragon Gate, so I'm ready to pump out that manifesto. It's going to be no problem. This is a pro-Unabomber podcast. Fact. <laughs> All right. If you want more pro-Unabomber takes, make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. So the key to the Twitter account for the podcast is it's mostly Nate running it, and you get all the highlights of the stuff you need to know. So it's a good follow. We mostly only like post our own stuff during the live show. So you'll get live tweeted uh, shows, and then you'll get all the notes you need to keep up with during the week. So it's a good follow. Follow us. You can get our personal accounts. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji Heya. That's Fuji with two eyes, like Don Fuji. And make sure you're subscribing to the show. It comes out usually on Thursday nights. I, that's what it'll be this week. And we need you to rate and review. Give us a five-star rating, not the two-star rating, but the five-star. And Nate will tell us later if we got any new reviews, I'm confident. No. No, no new reviews. Nate has already done the homework. So you, now you got to pick up the slack. You have to pick up the slack. Go give us a five-star review. Here's what we're going to talk about this week. Fight for the Fallen is coming up in like two days. So the preview is going to be on this episode. We're going to talk about some talent notes, some talents who have signed contracts who, or who are not signing contracts and might become at AEW. We got a little note on the AEW-New Japan relationship, and Nate is back with a BTE recap. So let's get right into it. Fight for the Fallen, July 13th, Daly's Place Amphitheater in Jacksonville, Florida. Dave Meltzer reported in the, new, in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that the show was about 450 tickets shy of selling out. Uh, it's, I said it's at Daly's Place, which is an arena built by Shad Khan adjacent to where the Jaguars play. Uh, the arena is set up for 5,180 fans, so over 4,500 tickets that they've sold already. The buy-in, the pre-show, is going to start at 7.30. Main card at 8.15, and of course, this is streaming free in the United States and Canada on BR Live and elsewhere on Fight TV, but you got to pay for it. So let's start here. Nate, are you excited about the show? What are your overall thoughts heading into this show? 
Yeah, I'm excited about the show. Uh, we've had two good shows, so seems like insane, but you know the the data indicates that they could have a third good show, which would be cool. I would love watching a third good thing. Um, you know, third sequels are always tough. Um, I don't know that any of the matches. I mean, Kenny Vershima is like a cool uh, historic match, but you know, I, I doubt it's something that's going to make your end of year lists. Um, interested to see what kind of Joshi representation we get on here. Seems like something. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to a ale fest that afternoon, so I'm probably going to be vaguely drunk and have a good time. Yeah, this is. Probably I'm more anticipating this than I was Fighter Fest, to be honest, just because of the Omega Shima match. I know that throughout the show, I've kind of made a big deal about how big of this match is going to be. And it, it's really a match as someone who's a big Dragon System, Dragon Gate, OWE person, that it's really remarkable because these two dudes have not fought each other. I mean, they basically were in each other's walled gardens for so long. So I'm stoked about that. I'm stoked that the Neo Jungle Assault Nation of uh, Lucha uh, of Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy <laughs> are together, like they're getting in the card. I'm I'm stoked about that. That's something I'm really here for, and I'm excited to see. I mean, it, it was announced today that Britt Baker and B. Priestley are going to be on the show, and there's some stuff up with Shoko Nakajima, like how Nate said. I'm interested to see how that's all going to kind of play out. There's some other stuff on the show that, I'm, to be frank, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay about, but. The top end stuff, the stuff I'm mostly interested in, has me stoked enough that, you know, I mean, this is going to be a cool looking show at the very least. I mean, they, they, they had some really sweet looking crowd shots of Daly's Plaza on Road to Fight for the Fallen. So I think that it could be another uniquely kind of set up show. And I'm kind of stoked for that as being a production nerd. So, yeah, I, I'm ready for it. Let's do it. It's going to be an earlier show, too. So that's good as well. Oh, I keep forgetting that. 8.15. Eight, oh, okay, yeah. that's early. That's not, it's like, no, I, all right. I keep forgetting that this is an outdoor amphitheater. Yeah, like that's one of the reasons why I did not think about driving down for it because it's like six yeah. hours away. But I've looked at the weather for Saturday in Jacksonville. It's going to be 92 with 66 degree humidity and, and just rain. It's going to be like being smothered by a wet hot blanket. I lived in Miami for five years. Didn't need to re-experience that. So hopefully that they have good ways to call off a crowd because if not, I can just imagine the energy just getting sapped out the joint. They're all, all Florida right. people. They're used to it. They're like, they've evolved into some Loser sort people. of, yeah, Jimmy Buffett ur urchins or something. <laughs> well, let's start with Joshi, the best place to start. So AEW hasn't announced this, but Tokyo Joshi Pro announced that Shoko Nakajima would not be on their upcoming show in Nagoya because she would be debuting with AEW at this show. So we have every reason to believe that Shoko Nakajima is going to be on this show. If you're not familiar with Shoko, she's in Tokyo Joshi Pro and she is the Kaiju. So she uh, looks like a, uh, a beast. She's a monster. Yeah, she's uh, her get up to me like looks like wolf, like it's very furry yeah. and like brown. So I'm like, oh, it's like a wolf gimmick. I guess it's technically a kaiju gimmick. I don't know if there's a wolf kaiju. Um, you know, when you think of kaiju, you think of like Mothra and Godzilla and these things. But, um, you know, I'm sure it's appropriate. Uh, she's also currently their top champion 
um, which is interesting because the other Joshi on this show is uh, a stardom champion and B Priestley. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if there's going to be interaction there. Yeah, the other women that are announced, these are actually announced, are that Britt Baker and B Priestley will be on this show in some form or fashion. Very strange that we don't have a match announced, especially considering, you know, they told us back months ago when B Priestley signed that she would be on this show. And yet we have no idea what she's actually going to be doing. Yeah, and you have to imagine that with politics, with with B being the world of stardom champion and then Shoko being the, it, it's the princess of princess, right? That's the identical title of that, right? I believe so, yeah. yes. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird match for to put them together. Like that's usually a match that usually has like big political implications. So it, it'll be interesting, but I, I'm excited. I've not watched a lot of Shoko and I've been getting into Joshi this year. So I'm stoked to see what can come out of this. She rules. I guess the best idea would be to put somebody else in this match to take the fall. Yeah. So we don't, we don't know what the match even is yet. Like, I don't True. know that they're going to do another triple threat. Um, because they don't want to beat Brit probably because she's going to be one of their pushed acts. So, you know, maybe a tag, maybe, you know, it's, it's easier politically to have the two champions on the same tag team uh, rather than have them face each other or whatever, but then one of them has to lose also. Um, and we do, you know, n- none of the other women have been announced uh, besides Brandy and Allie. There was a whole plot line about Brandy bringing in Awesome Kong. Haven't seen her uh, on the last show. Um, but uh, it seems to be a factor in this promotion because they have merch for her and everything. So maybe she gets in there. Who knows? Yeah, I guess it's, I don't know. Is it possible that Riho shows up on this show? Is she booked anywhere? I know she had her farewell to Gato move. I, I just, I have no idea whether she's booked, but she is, appears to be the most pushed Joshi at this point. Right. And I mean, the other person to wonder about is we have seen, pretty much nothing from Kylie Ray since, uh, since double or nothing. And at least from double or nothing, it seemed like that, that it was the start of something slow with her. And you would think that maybe she'd be, she'd be the natural person to kind of come in and, and eat, and f- eat a fall here. So that there's a lot of people that you have to ask questions about. Of course, Akara Shida is busy in Japan. I think Makai has a show coming up or just had a show. So it, it, it's interesting. It's kind of weird. I mean, they've announced a lot of this stuff for this show today. I mean, as we're recording this, we had to go scramble to make sure that one of the tag matches actually was happening on the show and wasn't just like a random photo put up. So it's it's kind of harried. And also, I feel like that we're going to put this episode out tonight and then tomorrow something's going to completely change. Also, haven't seen Penelope in in-ring action yet. Um, she was with Joey at Double or Nothing. They did that poolside photo shoot with her, um, but have not seen her in action yet, so. No, and we've seen Joey since then, and she hasn't been with him, so hard to say. All right, well, on to matches that are at least announced. We know what they're going to look like. Joey Janela, Jimmy Havoc, and Darby Allen take on Sean Spears, MJF, and Sammy Guevara. The biggest story here, I suppose, is the Sean Spears-MJF issue uh, about Spears attacking Cody and MJF taking uh, some offense at that because he's, you know, of course, best friends with Cody. So there's a lot of guys I like in this match. You know, I want to see if the crowd gets behind Darby Allen more than they did last time, for sure. I want to see how the Sean Spears MJF thing plays out. 
and I hope to see very little of Jimmy Havoc. Yeah, I pretty much said my piece on this last week. I just, you know, they can do all their um, awkward teammate stuff between Sean Spears and MJF, and they can sell the story that way, and it's still going to annoy me that this match even exists. Um, But I think the action should probably be good because, you know, Joey will probably do something crazy. Darby's the best. Um, And, you know, Sammy Guevara is also uh, liable to dive four rows into the crowd in a six-man tag like that this so should be a nice um i know high octane sort of six man to to kick off the card or get it fired up here yeah this is a really weird tag match (laughs) like it's hard for me to get like super into it when it's obvious what they're going to do and i feel like that there's going to be some big miscommunication or sean spears just attacking mjf and it's gonna leave sammy guevara with a fall i do kind of like the vibe of the grunge team i mean we have Joey Janela, who there's been enough said about Joey Janela over the last week. He, 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 he's been going a little too high, hard on the White Claws. And then Jimmy Havoc, he exists just as much as he did last show. Take that as you will. And then our, our sweet, reckless boy, Darby Allen in this t- match. And I'm just excited to get more Darby. Like, Darby and is kind of like my one point of interest here, just because I'm not digging the whole thing with uh, – with the like troubled partners act, it, it it never comes off well. So how long have a white claws been a thing? Is this new? They were talking it a lot about uh, talking about it a lot on the AIW podcast yeah. too. It seems like literally in the last week, white claws are a thing. And then like I look at my Twitter now, it's all advertising, you know, promoted tweets from White Claw. <laughs> I mean, I've been aware of it for like a couple of years, but I've always kind of put it in the back of my mind as, oh, that's just alcoholic seltzer okay but yeah it definitely feels like it's become a thing in wrestling and who knows it just seems like that people like drinking alcoholic seltzers and that became a big thing at least with aiw and the uh, gcw show this weekend as the podcast resident straight edge kid i have no idea about white claw never heard of it until joey janela mentioned it it just became i think white claw white claws is having a moment and I, it just came out of nowhere, as far as I can tell. Never had a, never seen it on a, you know, I guess mostly I drink like brewery beer. But anyway. I have some uh, Jimmy Havoc news. Oh. What's just up? Fa- just found out this week. Do you guys know who Jimmy Havoc dates? Is it Tony Storm? It is not. I love wrestler dating news for the listeners who don't know. Uh, uh, okay. I thought for a while he was dating a model, an alternative model. So He is not. Okay. I mean, he may have been before. He is currently dating a wrestler who is Joshi adjacent. Okay. So I, I guess Tony Storm, because if you don't follow the show, Bentley's obsessed with Tony Storm. <laughs> that was a good guess. Um, Joshi, Joshi adjacent. Yes. Bobby Tyler. Oh, pretty good guess. Jamie Hayter? Jamie Hayter. Jamie Hayter. Is the okay. answer. Okay. Mike led me to that one. Yeah. Nice work. That was good. Yeah, I, I found uh, I follow her on Instagram because I am who I am. And <laughs> wave that flag. <laughs> and I was watching her stories because, again, I am what I am. And uh, she had a what are those things called? A photo booth, like printout thing of mm-hmm. pictures of her and Jimmy. And the last one was them kissing. And she had wrote, written text on there about that she missed him already. Mm. That's sweet. Get. Mm. Well, hopefully, hopefully he brings her into the, you know, AEW access because I know she did a, you know, NXT UK date or something. Yeah, she needs to do AEW instead. She's excellent. Okay, next match. Sonny Kiss 
takes on Peter Avalon, who will have Leva Bates in his corner. Uh, interested to see how much time this gets and if Sonny Kiss kind of gets to show off what he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have high hopes for it, just to be fair. I have higher hopes for this than I did for the Oliva Bates Alley match from Fight from Fighter Fest, just because that's fair. I Sunny Kiss is great. I I thought that he came off really well during the uh, Battle Royal and Peter Avalon, like the whole librarian thing. I mean, it's it, it's obvious now they're trying to turn this on itself and make it so bad that it's good, and they're gonna. If you're someone like Joe Lanza who wants to get rid of the librarians, that's obviously not going to happen. They're going to see how powerful their creativity is. So I I don't know how much they're going to give this. I think it's a match on the buy end. So I imagine that probably somewhere between eight to ten minutes. But you know, it's I, I'm glad to see Sunny Kiss back, and it, it's just weird. Like like this gimmick. Like we're going to get this. I feel like for a while, or at least there might be some blowout at all out but it's not going anywhere in the near term. Yeah, I'm mostly interested to see this because I've never seen either of these two work like a straight-ahead match. I've seen, you know, Sonny uh, do the the Battle Royale, and that's really been about it for me. It was not a Lucha Underground viewer um, during the Sonny Kiss era. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking to see what they've got as far as, like, working a match. We have another three-way tag team match for an opportunity or a buy or something like that. So yeah, the, the annoying convoluted language and gimmick for this, but at least it's the same match structure as the previous one of these. Like these teams are kind of on equal footing because they all have the equal opportunity for the opportunity for a buy. So that at least is like a little consistent, but you know, same complaints as before. Yeah, this is like the part of the tag team tournament that ultimately is going to happen. And it looks like it's going to happen at the beginning of TV, which is going to start uh, October 2. So this time around, we get the Dark Order versus Jack Evans and Angelico versus Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. And this promises to have a lot of exciting high spots, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm ready to see like the Dark Order in action because they have a lot of crazy tag team spots you know they're like the canadian echo of the young bucks or whatever um so we'll be happy to see them like you know step out of the goofy minion kind of stuff and like just have them be able to do crazy spots and then get big crowd reactions that way and then everybody's going to be like way more forgiving of the goofy minion stuff once they see um see them in action you two both expect that when this match got announced that dark order has to win right yeah, it seems like they're building to them and the best friends for uh, for All Out. Okay, yeah, like that was the thing when I saw this. I was like, oh, so you obviously, so you obviously now have Jungle Boy there to take the fall, and you know we'll see how uh, uh, Los Guerreros de Cielo are. I mean, I think one ha- of them could take the fall. I mean, I I guess it, it seems like that. I mean, they're another kind of group of people with like Kylie Ray who've fallen off the a cliff since since double or nothing so i mean maybe because they're not being such a factor they can do it but i'm with nate here look when they were the super smash brothers they were a really great spotty tag team and i think that that's definitely something that if we get more of their in-ring stuff less of the minions less of the rest of the goofiness and just have a heel super smash brothers team winning this then i'm all for it and of course i'm excited about the neo jungle assault nation 
I think that it's a great team, and I'm going to call them that until it becomes universally accepted. I mean, there they picked up the flag that Jungle that Jungle Kiona dropped. Am, am I wrong in this, Bentley? No, I strongly agree. I'm going to support it, and I'm going to make bootleg Jungle Assault Nation t-shirts that have Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus on them. All right, next. Well, we don't know when this is going to happen, but just need to point out that Chris Jericho will have a live mic at this show at some point. Uh, I assume it's going to come somewhere near the Hangman Page versus Kip Sabian match. Let's just roll that into uh, this part of the show. Obviously, building to Chris Jericho and Hangman Page at All Out. Kip Sabian won something. What did he win to get? I guess just he he beat Santa Guevara at the buy-in for Double or Nothing. And then Hangman Page won the four-way at Fighter Fest, and that's how we get this match. Uh, I guess I'm interested to see more of Kip Sabian and in there with uh, a totally different worker than Sammy Guevara. And what we really need from this is for Hangman Page to come out as even more of a star. He really needs to have a, a big performance here, I think, to show that he's going to be a credible challenger to Chris Jericho. Yeah, I tried to uh, speak on this on the last episode also, that people who are new to AEW and have not followed BTE or Ring of Honor or you know Hangman Page's ascent in New Japan, um, they don't really know what the what the hype is yet because he hasn't done much on the two shows in this promotion. Like he's, you know, had his handful of spots and had his lariat, but he has not really shown the personality or charm or fire or any of that stuff that makes people get behind him. So you're absolutely correct. Like this needs to be like, oh, big singles match win. This guy looks like a fucking star. Um, you know, Hangman Page is now set up to uh, wrestle Chris Jericho on the you know giant show coming up in Chicago. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what we need to see. I'm going to throw a comp on this, and I, I know that AB will probably pick up on this and maybe Nate as well. They need to treat this like a mid-Atlantic uh, Magnum TA match. They need him to come in, destroy Kip Sabian, who I was really impressed with live. I thought Kip Sabian was a lot better than I was expecting. I thought he looked great in that match with Sammy Guevara, I felt that match was the highlight of the double or nothing buy-in. But he needs to come in, do some cool moves, act like a badass, beat him definitively, cut a promo, and just like look like a star. Because it's clear that, at least in my opinion, that I don't expect Hangman to win in Chicago. I think he's going to be chasing for a while. And I think he should be chasing. And these are the kind of matches that he should go and like not even really take any of Kip Sabian's move. He should just put him six feet under, hit the uh, hit the dead eye and get out of the match and maybe cut an interview afterwards. That's all I, I want out of this match. If they're going to have like a back and forth match, I expect it to be fine, but I feel like that's just to the detriment of Hangman Page. And if they don't do this, then what are we doing with Hangman Page and this lead up to this main event of their biggest show before TV? Like, what are we doing here? I agree with you for the most part, um, but there are like, if we're appealing to like, normie wrestling fans who like believe in work rate and stuff they're going to want to believe that adam page has work rate and want to be like oh he can do you know crazy flips and do all this stuff so in that regard you know i I don't like a squash match we also want to see some of the tools in his tool belt um so uh, you know you have to have kip sabian live and compete long enough so that adam page can pull off a you know moonsault to the outside or something but yeah you should for sure you know pin him in the middle with his move. I I mean, I get what you're saying, but for this part right now, they have the elite fans who know he's a thing. Like they know that 
that Adam Page is a player. And this, yes, they're getting like all these viewers, yes, they're getting all this, but the time to really appeal to Laps fans isn't now. Like this is just getting like your mailing addresses. This is them trying to get people on BR Live who are already dedicated. That's in that's gonna happen in October. I think for now, what's Kip Sabian gonna lose? Like, I mean, it's okay to have a squash match on a free show. Yeah, maybe like an 80-20 match. I'm gonna say a 70-30 match. Yeah, something like that. Definitely have to see Hangman break out the uh the uh shooting star press off the apron. <laughs> Nobody's seen that yet. The weirdest move in the. It is weird, yeah. but it's impressive. He's it looks good when he does it. I mean, and the fans will go crazy for it. I think he should do it. Uh, bad thing for Hangman Page here is he might be the second most handsome man in the match. Yeah, that's. I mean, Kip Sabian is a handsome guy. Yeah, I, I would say though that Hangman Page in person, when he looks into your eyes, Aaron, he <laughs> looks into your eyes. Like you get his undivided attention, and you're just like, "Wow, this is a real hunk." Like That's very no wonder, hot. Yeah, no wonder he got hunk of the year awards because he is legitimately you're like okay, almost disarmingly handsome. Mm, okay. All right. Well, despite, well, maybe maybe this is how it'll happen. So I'm thinking there's got to be. Obviously, a Hangman Jericho face-off at some point, right? And Hangman's got to get the better of him in some. Like, I don't see Hangman like laying out Jericho, you know, leaving him lying. But he's got to get the better of him. Maybe he could just stare him down with those big blue eyes, and uh, Jericho will be uh, just completely intimidated. Not sure that's going to play in the building. <laughs> Maybe not. But somehow yeah, he's got to get over on Jericho here. Well, yeah, I think you want to establish him as a viable competitor. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, certainly they're going to do a, a promo and, and and tease out that match. You know, one thing they are doing locally that I think is going to be a big deal is Hangman's throwing out the first pitch at the Jungle Shrimp game. I, I, don't know. I don't know if that's tonight or tomorrow, but that's something that's happening in the lead up there. He's going to become like the star of Jacksonville overnight. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I tweeted about this. Because I had a uh, an in joke with uh, Oren from Twitter, who was living in Jacksonville and uh, making jumbo shrimp jokes, and the jumbo shrimp social account like jumped into my mentions when I made a joke about AEW branded hats, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we'd have to get written permission from AEW Wrestling for that," and then made like a little sad face, like with pleading eyes, like slow your roll, jumbo shrimp social media manager, like a little too <laughs> thirsty about AEW on the uh, on the Twitter account, like. You know, just relax a little bit. All right. Next up, we're going to have Brandy Rhodes taking on Allie. There was some more build for this on Road to Fight for the Fallen this week. I'm going to just kind of weave what happened on that show into our preview here. So we see Brandy running into Allie. Allie says she saw Brandy's video from last week's Road to and didn't know previously how much pressure Brandy felt. You'll remember Brandy talked about her skating career and that she always folded under the bright lights. And uh, Allie says she knows there's been weirdness between she and Brandy in the past, but she just wants to have a good match. They shake hands. They seem happy. And I guess we're just kind of moving on from all the weird uh, kind of angle that we had going on before. And then Allie gets her own feature. She talks about her own struggles with confidence and her wrestling ability and in herself. But then she talks about winning the Impact Knockouts title by name, which I thought was interesting and uh, compares herself to Brandy when Brandy said that she crumbles under pressure. But Allie says 
She does not do that. She shows up because that's what you have to do. So now it looks like we've just got a regular, normal ass build for this match. Two women who want to show that uh, they can do what they claim they can do and have a good match between each other. None of the silliness uh, that Brandy was going about bringing in somebody who seemed like Awesome Kong. But of course, that could just be to throw us off. And Awesome Kong shows up here and, and knocks the shit out of Allie. Hard to say. Yeah, I think this segment had the feeling that it was setting up a turn for somebody here because like you had a feud building and then at the end of the feud they're like hey we're friends and pals and let's go out there and put on the best performance and that sort of that kind of you know comports with the brandy segment we saw the other week like her talking about all that pressure and going out and having to perform like kind of made it seem like the real win for her in this match is having a good match rather than necessarily getting the win which is kind of the new like kayfabe kind of thing where people are more impressed with work rate than uh wins and losses or whatever it is um but i think the just the way this this feature with ali turned kind of seemed like somebody was headed to go heal on the other one like ali made a point of saying yeah you know you you always crumbled when you were faced with that pressure you know i didn't i uh you know stepped up to the plate and went out and did it even though i was you know scared and anxious and all this other stuff so kind of expecting we'll see something like that but Good segment on the show here. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of interested to see. Uh, again, this is a pro Brandy podcast. So I'd like to see or have a good match here and, and see how this compares to the Leva match with uh, Allie in it. Yeah, we are firmly pro Brandy. This was another great segment on Road 2. Brandy remains the MVP of all the YouTube series. And I, I do get kind of the feeling, like, like Nate said, that we could see one of them doing something heelish. I mean, Brandy's already kind of cemented herself as being willing to do some tricks with awesome Kong. So who knows if that could be a thing that could happen there. And yeah, it, it does seem like that for Brandy, she's like, we're good. Like her goal is like the new age, have a good match. Whereas at Ali, even though like she was like talking about like, Oh yeah, I've had my doubts out of doubts. Like, I feel like she made a point to say, but I won the impact women's championship or the impact knockouts championship. My bad. But I feel like that, like that point there made it seem like that she was more determined to win the actual match than Brandy. So we'll see. I, this is one of the things that I've been really impressed with how they've built it up between the two, the last two row to fight for the fallen. Am I wrong? I've not watched impact in many, many years, but was Allie not at some point a heel character? No, I think she was all, I mean, I haven't watched other than GIFs either. I think she was pretty much always a baby face. She started as like the personal assistant to whoever the authority figure was. And they did like the whole gimmick where she's mistreated and then finally stands up for herself and turns on her. I don't, was it Maria? Maria Canellis it might've been. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. And then she went to, went into something with Rosemary where they were like uh, evil cutesy team but in a baby face way not in a heel way yeah that's my memory too she did some she did a big storyline with her husband in real life braxton sutter so like that was a thing but yeah she was kind of like the naive never wrestled before assistant that suddenly like becomes a good wrestler so like that was the storyline at least from what i understand but i I, th I don't know if she was like purely heel maybe more so when she like was I don't know. I don't watch Impact, but I think she like was possessed at one point. I mean, it was some of that Rosemary bullshit. Yeah, but yeah. the on that point, 
she's like a way better heel performer than she is a baby face. Like if you go back to her time in like CZW or Shimmer, like his cherry bomb, she's like a very funny and obnoxious heel. So like kind of like the heel that's so entertaining that you just like them anyway. So I would think that if one of these people is going heel, then it might be her. You can see it happening. It's just that Brandy is such a natural heel that you almost hate to see her having to play a straight up baby face. Okay, next up we get SoCal Uncensored, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky taking on the Lucha Brothers. So I don't know. For me, I'm just tired of all the people involved in this match. <laughs> and I just like, I just don't care about this. That's Promotion hasn't started yet here, buddy. Yeah, okay, but we've all seen them wrestle many, many times. I yeah, mean, and pretty much seen this combination wrestle at whatever that uh, Atlanta show was around the Super Bowl, where the young oh, Bucks yeah. and Cody showed up. Um, yeah, we I, we know we know what this match is going to look like. Didn't they say though, and being the elite, that this was the first time that it was Kaz and Sky versus the two, though? Yes, but is that a distinction that really matters? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm just trying to clarify <laughs> but yeah no this is a match that it's happening this match will whatever your imagination of what a lucha brothers match will be against these two that's probably what's going to happen i mean i can't anticipate anything special or surprising happen may do y'all no i will refresh twitter a lot during this match yeah and i should say like this is really just an element of us being uh gross wrestling nerds who have watched way too much and me in particular i've seen Phoenix and Pentagon more than probably any other wrestler in my life because they were like the focus of the promotion here. I mean, I really like them. I have both their masks like in my bedroom because um, I was like a really big fan of them. Um, but it is, you know, a, a little bit of diminishing returns when I've seen them 1600 times over the last three years. Yeah, I like all these guys. I've just seen enough of them at this point. So the only funny thing I have to say, or not, it's not funny. <laughs> I say it, but the only thing I want to say that is funny was that in Road Two Five for the Fall, and Alex Marvez called them Los Lucha Brothers, and in his like cheesy voice, really cracked me up. He tries. He does. He does indeed. <laughs> okay, next up, uh, Mike's main event. At least we get Kenny Omega taking on Shima. Take it away, Iron Mike. Yeah. So, as if not the uh, leader of the Shima for Hall of Fade fame task force i'm one of the people like proudly waving the banner this is a match that for shima at least for nerds this is like the match for him to really put forth his case as a hall of famer the, it's interesting because of how these promotions work and particularly dragon gate when shima was in dragon gate it's kind of a wild garden they bring people in but very few of the wrestlers wrestle outside of it unless it's going to the States to work for Ring of Honor, PWG, or DGUSA, and they never cross paths during this. So I guess for me, my anticipation for this match is, is really the whole thing of, will Shima finally have that match of the year contender singles match? Because that's always been the thing with certain parties is that Shima's one of the best trios and tag team wrestlers of this generation. But when it comes down to a one-on-one -on -one match, then it's really kind of an issue. So I'm excited about it. It They did do a really good job of building up Shima by giving him the Christopher Daniels match. So I'm totally okay with that. 
And I, I'm really anticipating this. This is Shima is one of my five fa- most favorite wrestlers of all time. This was the match that I was going to be willing to drive six hours to go see. Like that was why it's that's why you drive six hours. But I just kind of make it work. But I'm stoked about this. I think that with Kenny, there there's going to be like the little thing of okay, are we going to have any John Moxley interaction post match or during the match or something? And I just really hope that we get a clean finish and a strong match out of it. Yeah, I. I don't know. After seeing, so I haven't seen nearly as much Shima as Mike has, obviously. After seeing his match with Christopher Daniels, who I know Christopher Daniels and Kenny Omega are not at all similar as far as where they are in their careers. I just wonder if we're going to, are we going to get like the epic match that I think Mike wants to see and that I would like to see? Right. Um, is she, can Shima do that in 2019? Yeah. And Interestingly enough, the guy the guys that Shima has had his best matches with are Shingo Takagi, who you can't have a great match with Shingo Takagi at this point, as we've now seen his year in New Japan, then what are you doing in the ring? And Masaki Mochizuki, who just kind of decides that I'm just going to kick the crap out of you for 20 minutes, and who doesn't like seeing people get kicked? It's great. So Kenny's wrestling style is not really comparable to those two, because Kenny does his own thing. I mean, unless you want to go like, taking Shingo's pumping bomber for Kenny Omega's V trigger. There's really not a whole lot of things to compare. I feel like, so I am with you there. AB. Yeah. I feel like they, we probably get a big showcase singles effort here because once TV starts, there's probably not a ton of opportunity for Shima to have those featured spots, right? Like we're not expecting him to be at the top of the card on quarterly pay-per-views. Um, you know, once they've, uh, once they're in full swing on this. So, um, it, you know, if he's going to have a chance for a blowaway match here in the near future, th- this is probably the chance for it. Yeah. And with Shima and OWE and Strong Hearts, they have a very busy fall. Like between uh, this show and All Out, they have shows in Canada for certain. They have shows on the books for the United Kingdom and Germany as well. So this is like the, the chance there because who knows how much of Strong Hearts we see when TV starts up just because of how busy they are with their other things. All right. And that just leaves our main event, which is going to be the young bucks taking on Cody and Dustin Rhodes. There was a lot of focus on this understandably in this week's road to fight for the fallen. We got to see Cody flashing back to the initial AEW press conference when he said uh, Jacksonville would be the second AEW show. Which I thought was interesting because I guess they weren't planning on the CEO show at that time. I got a laugh when Cody said that he said he booked this match because he thought it would draw. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is the drawing match, so <laughs> I know. I I just think like, well, that's why you book matches, right? I just think it's a funny thing to say. He said he thought Dustin would say no to the match, and Dustin said, "Yeah, I, I did want to retire, but he couldn't say no to Cody." And then there's they start talking about the Young Bucks, getting into that. Uh, Dustin says, you know, I mean, you have to expect that Dustin hasn't seen a lot of Young Bucks in his life. But he said, you know, he watched their AEW matches so far. Says he likes how exciting they are in the ring, but he doesn't like how they make fun of people and especially is peeved by their bits making fun of the Cody-Dustin exchange. Says he's going to power slam their souls out of their bodies. This was a great segment. One of the better segments on the Road 2 series thus far. Really enjoy Dustin as the crotchety old man who has only been in the WWE system for however many years he's been there in his most recent run. Um, and just like 
you know, being basically the embodiment of all your Jim Cornettes and whoever the fucks who like don't understand the young bucks who are, you know, making a making a gimmick out of, you know, telling people to slow down and grab a hold or whatever the fuck. Um, just very entertaining stuff. Cody is like again, his his confidence is just on like a whole other tier right now and just like totally owns the room the whole time he's in here and it's like has dust in there to play off. Um great, great pairing. Great segment. Love all the trash talk. I like how they factored in past kayfabe results. Like they talked about their previous history as a tag team and beating the Shield and beating the Usos, who the Young Bucks are flirting with on Twitter. Like that's all great. I appreciate them trying to make a cohesive wrestling universe out of the nonsense that those results actually indicate from the WWE. Uh, but yeah, this like this is a much more interesting match to me than the Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers for the thousandth time or the Bucks versus SCU for the thousandth time. Like just having Dustin Rhodes in that mix makes it way more fun. Yeah, this got even better as Cody started talking about, and Nate referenced some of this uh, content from this part, but Cody starts talking about being at dinner with Tony Khan and some TNT executives. And apparently Tony Khan was commenting how good a team Cody and Dustin were when they were in WWE and how their matches were critically acclaimed, you know, at least by Dave Meltzer. And Kenny Omega, apparently, I'm not, I, I got the sense that he might have been putting on, but he was like shocked by the idea that uh, the matches with Cody and Dustin were critically acclaimed. I have an idea of why. Kenny must just do search and find Omega each time he <laughs> makes server. So just completely passes over the rest of it. He just wants to see his mentions. So okay, Kenny just looks for whoever posts the star rating results on Reddit. <laughs> so uh cody was a little irritated by this and he his quote was really from the guy who thinks taka michinoku is a legend which like okay weird insane. non sequitur first of all insane yeah but second of all taka michinoku is a fucking legend man he's an all-time great yeah i mean yeah taka versus sasuke at canadian stampede is a better match than cody ever, ever had in the wwe I mean, the Kai and Tai DX versus Michinoku Pro 10-man tag is one of the most important matches of the last 30 years. Cody has had three or four important matches, maybe. Also, Taka had a better WWE run than Cody. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the, I did really like the uh, tag that him and Dustin had, to be fair. For sure, but there's a lot of Taka moments from his run. Well, I mean, Taka's tremendous. So also, Taka's still great. Not that Cody isn't, but he's got a lot of years left to keep up with Taka. Hey, Taka is now having Gutami come in. So I mean, Taka's a great wrestling mind. So I respect him. He's now Joshi adjacent. So the, your favorite phrase, Joshi adjacent. <laughs> yes, I just adopted it on this episode. But I was a weird, a weird legend to object to. Like I could understand. Like, and this is not me saying that Dick Togo is not a legend because like Dick Togo's done a bunch of important stuff and it's been awesome also. But if Cody said, Kenny thinks Dick Togo is a legend, like you could understand that way more. But everybody watching this YouTube knows who Taka Michinoku is. <laughs> right, yeah. Like this isn't like him saying like Men's Teho. Like he wasn't like doing like some deep cut. He was picking probably the most this obvious- This is an A-side. This is an A-side pick. The, the, this is the first single they put out on the Kai and Tai album. It's the, almost like he's playing to fans who would only know Taka from WWE. Yeah. And if you did, you might be a, like, like Taka mentioned the top, choppy, choppy peep. I mean, I know he wasn't that angle. That guy is a legend. <laughs> yeah. It was a little cribbing on the square. 
you know. And, but, and it was working. Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, we're talking about it right now. It worked. Right. That means it was good work. Mm -hmm. So uh, Dustin is mad, and he's working even harder because he says, we were the first team to beat the Shield. The Shield. Third. They beep it out. Oh, did they? They're, they yeah. did. They beep like I. Interesting that they don't. They don't feel. Don't feel that they can freely speak the name of the Shield on their YouTube show. Don't want Jerry McDevitt up in their business. <laughs> it's probably working. Something. So I uh, think Cody says, "Well, they must not have watched our matches, basically." But he talks about all the matches he's watched of the Young Bucks, and he lists some actual matches, you know, so it's pretty good. But he closes with, including the goofy trampoline wrestling that Dragon Gate does. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here's the thing. If somehow Cody found the Young Bucks and Dragon Gate, color me impressed. Color <laughs> me impressed, because we're talking 07 through 09. Like, they did not make tape often in Dragon Gate. So, I mean, it... He, I know that some people were thinking that, like that was like a Pac reference, but no, that was just Cody again cribbing on the square for maybe it was maybe Cody like listens and he knew that he would say something to get my dander up because <laughs> you know that like buy that. I'm like one of like 30 people, you know? <laughs> so yeah. This is, like this is real claiming you've seen a hundred speed muscle matches. Right. <laughs> and it was a thousand. That was the phrase. Oh, I'm sorry. Speed I'm sorry. muscle matches. Yeah. Well, there weren't even a hundred, so, you know. Right, yeah. All right. Okay, so, so idiom chat. I Googled cribbing on the square. <laughs> I was going to I was gonna let it go. No, right? no, let me know if this is wrong or right. Let me know. Yeah, it, it, nothing came up for it. No, so ribbing on the square, is it? Ribbing on the square. Yeah, that's a saying. <sighs> okay, yeah. ribbing on the square came right up. Okay. <laughs> and it, it auto-corrected to kidding on the square. Mm, never heard that one. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Do you want to get the definition of what I was trying literally, to say? Literally the third result. No. Yeah, the third result. So first is kidding on the square, Urban Dictionary. Second is kidding on the square, phrases.org.uk. Third is voices of wrestling on Twitter and a reply to our friend McLevy and Robert. That's the third, <laughs> that's the third usage of ribbing on the square on the internet <laughs> from 2018. <laughs> so this must, be, this must be something that happens deep in the voices of wrestling chat. Yeah, probably. Okay. Uh, as Nate mentioned, they, you know, Cody's going, he's getting going, you know, he's talking about all the teams they beat. They were kicking the Usos asses while the young bucks were flirting with them on Twitter. And Dustin very believably just drops. Are you that good young bucks? And Cody says, I guess we'll find out. And I guess we will. So now we can actually talk about the match and I'm with Nate. I'm pumped for this. Like Cody Dustin was my match of the year to date. It was excellent. I expect this. It's like what I said about Cody and Darby last week, that Cody has found the perfect mix of what he does and what the modern fan wants. He's got it. He's, he's figured it out. He's not a super worker, of course, but he's really good at telling competent stories in the ring, building to high spots, even if somebody else is doing them, and just putting together really good matches. So I expect this to be excellent. Like fight for the or fighter fest, no excellent matches, lots of really good stuff, nothing bad. This I expect to be basically the same, except this match has to be great to meet my expectations. Yeah, this match, uh, probably the most interesting thing to me on the show. Just like the fun, like it's really like you know, 
Gold Dust is in there with the Young Bucks. That's like kind of wild, you know. And on the same show, we've got Shima in the ring with Kenny Omega, also you know wild in its own right. Um, but yeah, this is seeing how they build this match and seeing what direction they go with the story and seeing what kind of interactions Dustin Rhodes has with like Nick Jackson um, is really going to be uh, appealing to me. Um, and it's not going to be, I think, 100 miles an hour, high spot after high spot after high spot. We've already got that match really on the show, the Lucha Brothers mat- match. So instead, we're going to probably have you know some weird brotherly melodrama or whatever going on here. And it's, uh, yeah, it should be fun. My big hope for this match is that we get to see like Cody and Dustin work like a grimy, like beat them up, like 1980s tag team. Like maybe if they want to be a little bit like the brain busters, that'd be pretty cool. Like just like, just, just like try to wreck the box for long and trying to like work over Matt Jackson long enough. So we get a really loud, hot tag, like just like some, like this isn't going to be the high spot match. As Nate said, there's already the, the triangle tag and there's going to be the Omega match, which I'm certain is going to just have ridiculous things there. But this is a match and especially in Florida. I mean, for their dad, Florida was where he made his bread and butter, the Tampa Bay, the Tampa area with uh, the Graham promotion in Graham territory was really where Dusty Rhodes became a national star. So like the, they're kind of like inheriting his, their dad's old territory and, if they do like this kind of like old school match, I think that that's, that's what I'm hoping out of this. I, I hope this is not Cody trying to have an epic. I hope this is Cody wanting to have just a grimy beat them down, get a hot tag for the young bucks kind of match. And at least that's what I'm trying to get out of this. Just saw Russell Westbrook to the Rockets folks. Yeah. For Chris Paul. Draft picks. What NBA a, news. What a trade. Bizarre. How many, how many draft picks do the, uh, Hornets or not the Hornets? Sorry, how many draft picks do the Thunder have now? A hundred at least. Jeez. Okay, I think that's all for Five for the Fallen. Anything else, guys? Um, uh, I'm interested to see if there's like a uh, over. I mean, it's hard to call it overwrought, but like an overproduced Farah and Farah ad break in the middle of the show where they have the oh yeah. Oh, we got to talk fair and fair doing their hard sell. I mean, we don't actually have to. We got to do fair and fair talk. I don't really want to do responding to every Twitter controversy. It's kind of boring. I just want to say that scamming big tobacco companies is cool. That's all I wanted to say. I'm reporting you to the bar. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I've already said on this podcast family that robbing banks is cool, and that didn't get me in trouble. So, Well, only, only from aforementioned friend of the show, Michael Levy. (laughs) <laughs> that's right oh yeah okay speaking of friends of the show chris james too gave us some notes on the young bucks interview with chris van vliet there's a few interesting nuggets in here so we'll run through them uh, matt says he talks to cm punk regularly and punk just still doesn't want to come back i think we can just close the book on cm close punk. the book no more mentions they being the Bucks, warned Cody about the chair spot before the show from uh, Fighter Fest. I'm getting all those mixed up now. And they thought it'd be too controversial no matter what. Cody wanted to do it anyway. He's okay now, but Tony Khan is pissed and says it's not going to happen again. The only take I have on this is that I shit the bed with my 
agency take on the was that the last show or two shows ago? Show, yeah. Last show, yeah. The right, the correct take, and I forget who had it here, but whoever had it, the correct take is Cody has power in the company, so if he wants to do it, that's fine. He shouldn't be able to. If any other wrestlers want to do those sort of dangerous spots, it calls into question whether they are actually doing it of their own volition or you know whether there's some power at play. That was the right take. Somebody already had it, so I'm not going to repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, Kenny apparently is coaching matches. Everybody else calls it agenting, but I guess we're going to call it coaching in AEW. Apparently three of the matches at Fighter Fest, he was the coach for. Uh, they said that BT is going to be around in some fashion when TV starts, but not sure if it'll be able to be a weekly thing anymore. I think that's probably for the best. I don't know how Nate feels about that since you know it's a big part of his role here on the podcast. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I do want to note on one on the previous BTE, which we skipped, the backstage of Fighter Fest one. They had you know the Bucks loading their own merch and stuff into the vans, and now we have Kenny, um, you know, doing a lot of agenting and doing all this other stuff and passing out from exhaustion after the show. Really does seem like this is like a, you know, pretty small operation here. They don't have a ton of uh, production staff or assistants or anything putting this in gear seems like if they're doing this and they're you know writing these shows and writing these storylines for the youtube series and stuff like hard to hard to imagine that it's sustainable when it's every week and not you know bigger shows that they're building to every month or every three months or every three weeks all right they are talking a little bit about the tag tournament that's planned out for when tv starts and the interesting nugget here was that they hint there are going to be some teams in it that we haven't seen yet. We're going to get details on that soon. Yeah, Dave says that LAX has their, their contracts are up in like a week. So, Yep. I think that there's a lot out there that, you know, they, they need to kind of do stuff, do stuff to flesh out this division. I feel like that there are some issues in the other divisions, but the tagging division has been at least one of the bigger points of consternation with me. So. I'll be glad when this thing's actually getting underway. Yeah, a big, I don't know. I'm, I've am i not been crazy about the women's division so far. It just doesn't seem to have any direction. Yeah, but, no, cohesion, no cohesion. But as uh, we talked off the air before we got started, that Mike had to take earlier today about how all this is kind of just the preseason leading up to when TV starts. So maybe I should just kind of. Uh, let it play out, as they say, and, and see where the women's division goes when TV starts. Should I take a moment and talk about my theory? Sure, bring it. All right. So this is something that I've been thinking about for weeks now. And as relation to a lot of stuff that's on the shows, stuff on the pre-shows, stuff about pretty much everything. This is preseason. Yes, all out, they're, they're going to be crowning their first world champion. Yes, they're having these the stupid mini tournament to decide who gets a first round buy in the, in the actual tag team tournament and the idea that wins and losses are mattering. But this, this time is a preseason because I feel like that this is really trying to get their kinks out, try to get their people that they have, they want to give ring time to or available as much ring time as possible. That's why we're seeing so many like six person tags, triangle tags, four ways, like all of this madness. And also they are dealing with a bunch of people who the, the kind of TV they've either worked on or they haven't been on TV before. So getting these things where like hitting their cues, being able to know like this is how things are going to be when you come out 
on a uh, entranceway. This is like get used to how pyro is if you're someone who's gonna have pyro and also be able to get your production cues down. I mean, this is a new production team being pulled together from people from Impact Wrestling and people from ROH. So you don't want their first time working together to be their big debut on primetime on TNT. So this is preseason. Is there some things that I wish they wouldn't be doing this preseason? Of course. But then the day, this they're trying to accomplish certain goals before the television starts. And if you're going to talk yourself into knots about this, then you're just talking yourself into knots because at the end of the day, this really doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a strong take. So maybe I'm uh, working myself into a shoot about the women and it'll uh, maybe look different when TV starts. I think people are watching, so it matters. And people that are hungry for new wrestling are definitely watching. So it matters what you put out. Um, but I think six man and some multi-man matches are just going to be part of what comprises the product because that's going to be necessary in order to save big singles matches for big events. So I think that's just part of wrestling and then we're going to have to um, accept that. And I think that's fine. It works for new Japan. Um, I think that we also can't focus on every division all the time. Like new Japan has their focus on the big single stars, which is where your focus should be in a pro wrestling promotion. They so don't nobody even have could, a women's division. So, <laughs> so nobody cares about the tag team division and like, kind of fine like you know if you're a big tag team head i guess you, you're mad about it but that you just you know accept that that's not part of their product focus and the the way to have functional pro wrestling is to move things in and out of focus as they heat up so like you know the, the women's division is maybe not going to be the focus all the time on the other hand the joshi matches have been the best matches on all these shows so far so i don't you know they're getting a lot of focus they have a story now with uh you know riho uh, you know, having sort of a, a, a more heelish persona, um, possibly moving forward. I don't know. Um, it just seems, I guess I just don't match the complaints really. Uh, you know, things are going to move in and out of focus as they need to. When there's more TV time, then you can have time for however many tag teams you're going to have. Uh, you know, there's a lot of this, the, all the tag teams here are great. That's uh, so, the, I mean, once they get LAX in here, they're going to have basically all the good ones. Um, yeah, that's that's my response. We can talk about LAX. They are under contract for about a month more, have gotten significant offers from both WWE and AEW. This is according to Dave Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. They haven't made a decision which offer to take. Uh, there are those in WWE who believe LAX will be starting there in September, but most close to the situation expect that the decision will be AEW. Dave talked a little bit that some of the decision may be based on the fact that there's probably no way they can take Conan to WWE as part of their act, whereas they could in AEW. Do you think that plays any role? <laughs> Conan. I mean, yeah, I don't know why Conan. I said it that way. I, yeah, hey, yeah. Conan O'Brien? That'd be some good Turner Media synergy there, AB. <laughs> He'd be a great manager. Uh, absolutely. He's done <laughs> lucha training. He, he has done lucha training before on Conan. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, fuck you both. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, uh, to follow up on something that like we kind of alluded to before, now that Dave's out, I can say that we've heard people from people who are close to LAX that they are in full belief that it's going to be AEW. So I don't know where WWE thinks that they're going to sign. Maybe it's that they think they're just going to throw a check at them. But I'm, I wouldn't put a percentage on it, but I'm reasonably 
confident that they're going to be under an AEW contract. Speaking of things, oh, sorry, go ahead, Nate. I was just going to say, I don't know if the, the tweet has been deleted by this point, um, but there was a good exchange with Ron Funches and Hurricane Helms on Twitter about LAX, where uh, Hurricane Helms was like, yeah, I want LAX to the WWE. And Ron Funches is like, nah, man, they're just going to have them riding lawnmowers to the ring. And they really started like getting into it. And Ron Funches was like, yo, name all the black acts in that company that don't do dancing gimmicks. And then uh, at the end of it, Ron Funches told him, don't fucking come up to me and tell me you like my work, you fucking Mark or something. And it was great. <laughs> I just wanted that was a great little, uh, you know, you don't usually see Ron Funches get that heated, but he really uh, was not having it. That's excellent. I forgot to mention this in the Chris Van Vliet section, but it fits here too. The Bucks said that Pac is still coming to AW eventually, that it's a priority to them. Yeah. That's all I'll say, but yeah, no, it's a priority. I mean, Kobe World's in two weeks. He's probably dropping the title there. He should drop the title there, but yeah, I don't think that this was a creative decision, and I've said that pretty much since day one, and unless they're able to pull out some power here, we'll see. I mean, it's a good thing they'll be running shows in the UK. Uh, uh, Did you catch that? (laughs) We've said all this before. Indeed. Speaking of tag teams, let's go back to a tag team. Gallows and Anderson have signed new multi-year deals with the WWE. They had previously turned down $500,000 per year offers for five years prior to getting a new offer. So presumably they're getting more than $500,000 each per year. Million dollar machine gun Carl Anderson. How about that? (laughs) What a world. I mean, they They, they don't even do anything on WWE TV, right? Well, they got together the infamous club again. Oh, that's right. They reunited the notorious club. With uh, the... Very popular Bullet Club wrestler, Triple H. <laughs> yeah. At this point, you could tell me anything happening on WWE. <laughs> and I believe you. So, yeah, sure, they did that. I'm like, sure. Yeah. No, they did. Apparently, I, I just do think it's very, like, Carl Anderson, who, you know, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. we were watching in, like, undercard tags in uh, Maria Canellas comedy programs in New Japan. Maria. Yeah. Now he's, you know, he's in, in, in a couple years' time, he's going to, like, literally have a million dollars you know, in the bank and probably, you know, multiple millions before he's all done. That's like pretty crazy. That's uh, you know, that's a wrestling war for you, I guess. Bleed them dry. Yeah. I'm, I'm very uh, into that. And that was, and I'm talking about also the more talented of the two. I didn't, I forgot to mention the other guy is Festus. <laughs> yeah. Luke Gallows making a million bucks. What a world. <laughs> can, can he just like stay there though? I would. I have to see how Luke Doc Gallows spends his millions of dollars. What's he, he going to get up to? What do you think he's going to be like in five years as a wrestler? I just. I can't wait to see his. I'm not that I'm going to see any of them. I can't wait for his matches to exist in five years. Yeah, when he's like actually like in his forties, because he's young. Like that's the crazy thing. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, he was sneaky young. Yeah, like he was like 24 when he was fastest, or he's like a sneaky young life. Sneaky young life. What a sneaky young life out of him. <laughs> and he's he's had his uh, he's had his wrestling marriage and divorce already, I believe. That's true. Well, he, but everybody there just ends up having relationships with other wrestlers, right? So who can who's Luke Gallows going to end up with? Let's ship him. <laughs> Let's ship Luke new, Gallows. New podcast segment. <laughs> Shipping Festus. I got. Uh, it better not be Siri. Is all I'm saying. Oh, that'd be uh, yeah, age gap problematic there. Yeah, very Yikes. problematic. Okay, speaking of 
Let's see. I guess people used to work in WWE. Sean Spears. So this was an interesting little situation where Sean Spears was announced and booked for Limitless Wrestling. And then as the show drew near, Limitless announced that Sean Spears had been pulled from the card by AEW. There had been discussions back and forth between Limitless and AEW about uh, various issues related to uh, Sean Spears showing up on that card. But ultimately, they decided not to let him go. And then it seems like they they cowed to Twitter outrage and permitted him to work the Limitless show. Yeah, the outrage machine works again. Yes. It, uh, this, so it's good they you know did the right thing eventually. Um, but they had to know that Limitless was going to go public with this, like especially when, uh, as they said in their Facebook note or whatever, they were contacting Sean Spears on a weekly basis to confirm he was still good for the date because they knew that you know he had signed his AEW deal now. So like if you, you know you know there's going to be a story that hey you know AEW pulled our guy from our show even though we've been advertising him for so long. So like if you can make it work after the fact, just make it work before the. Yeah, I agree. Strong take. Okay, some promotional partners of AEW AAA. Uh, for political reasons, the match with Cody and MJF going to something. Mike, I, Mike you got that one? Aguas Calientes. Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. I'm sorry. I, I should have tried yeah. to read that better. Aguas Calientes. I took four years of Spanish in high school, for the record. Wow. On July 18th, we'll be against Daga and Taurus. <laughs> there you go. Two for two. <laughs> it originally was against Taurus and Brian Cage but Cage was moved to a singles match with Killer Cross. This goes back to what we've talked about a few times of Impact's problems with Brian Cage. Well, yeah. partly, I think it's Impact's problems with Brian Cage and how he's booked. But also, we heard last week from Dave and the uh, Observer that AEW guys only want to work matches with AEW guys or their promotional partners. And Impact is not that, so it's not happening. Right. I think we talked about this match specifically last week, about this happening, and just... We're faster than Dave. Get your triple on news from here. That's exactly right. So it does seem, I mean, I have to guess this is coming from the impact end because we also mm -hmm. know Brian Cage was going to be in the double or nothing battle royale before impact pulled him because um, he was a champion and, and still is a champion, I think. Um, so you have to think they're cool with working opposite Brian Cage. And you also kind of look at this and go, hmm, I wonder what Brian Cage is doing after his impact contact is up. Yeah, and for a long time, Impact has had a relationship with AAA. Like, this has been something that they've had. Probably their longest partner has been AAA. So the fact that now they're having issues between the two. Like, this is not where I thought that an Impact versus AEW battleground would happen, but apparently that's what's going on next week in Aguas Calientes. Imagine fighting over Brian Cage, of all people. He apparently good. Brian Cage is good as fuck. He apparently yeah. had a wedding show slash a bachelor bachelorette party in LA and Drew was talking about going to it. You should have gone to it. I went to Mike and Maria's bachelor party show. It was a good time. <laughs> but that was with uh, Truth Martini running things though, right? True. Brian Cage is really good. They should get Brian Cage when he's available. Um, do you guys remember the Impact Noah relationship? That was weird. That's all I got. It was weird. Brian Cage is very cool for like five matches and then You've seen everything he's ever done. That's every wrestler. That's not every wrestler. Dave. Now Brian Cage is cool for because like every every time you see him, like you can be impressed at how big he is. That's so true. Never, it is never get tired of that. Yeah. 
I never get tired of seeing the picture of him from PWG when he was like regular sized. Have you yeah. have I don't recall that one. Have you seen oh. his FCW picture? Chris I don't Logan. know that I have. Chris oh, Logan. it's it's, it's great. Yeah, it's something else. Oh no, I'll have to look for that. He's doing a Wolverine gimmick. Sure, I get picked that up from Logan. I do know that, yeah. folks. Okay. I know X-Men. Do you? Let's yeah. dig in on this. I've seen oh. I saw at least X. I saw the first, whatever the first one was called, and X2. I'm confident I saw both of those. Oh, no first class? Maybe. I don't no, know. No Did you ever watch the animated series? No, 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 no. Oh, that's right. You're anti-cartoons. That's right. Done. All my X-Men information comes from the X-Men movies, and I only saw the first two or three. You never played, like, any of the Marvel versus Capcom games? No. Not a gamer. I mean, you could have been, like, they would have that machine at... At, yeah, like, clubs you were playing like it's that's, that's fair. I, I could have played like an arcade version of it at some point, and I had a lot of friends as a kid who were big gamers. I mean, I may have played it. I just don't know all the, I don't know all the lore. You know, future segment is if it's going to be a Chikara wrestler or an X Man mutant. <laughs> all right, let's talk about the AEW New Japan relationship. I thought this was interesting in the Observer from this week. You know, there was. Obviously, there's been talk about Moxley uh, not being allowed to appear on the G1 show in Dallas. But I think this is some new reporting from Dave about what happened between AEW and New Japan uh, when the Bucks and Kenny were leaving. Apparently, well before the announcement of AEW, the Young Bucks and others told AEW what the plans were and that they wanted to work together. And New Japan responded by pulling all the Americans they thought were going to AEW off of New Year's Dash and beating all the people going to AEW at the Tokyo Dome. So even though that happened, they scheduled a meeting after the Tokyo Dome and New Japan basically told them that they were going to work with Ring of Honor and they had to given that they'd agreed upon a Madison Square Garden show. But from then, it's been a cold relationship. And one thing that kind of demonstrates that is that Kenny Omega contractually can work for New Japan but New Japan has not attempted to book him, and it's to the point that the subjects of AEW and Omega are not allowed to be acknowledged by anyone in New Japan. Now, didn't Milano Collection AT reference AEW on a New Japan show? I don't remember. I believe from I don't remember it being him. I seem to remember that there was like someone saying like AEW or new or something of that nature. Yeah, I thought it was Milano, but anyway. Dave goes on to say that while things can change really with just one phone call, the idea that people think an Omega versus Cody <laughs> Kota Ibushi match will be at one of the Tokyo Dome shows in January is simply not the case. So I guess a lot of this information we knew, but mm -hmm. the way it's put together here kind of feels like a new story that we weren't, uh, that hadn't been put all together before. Right. This made it pretty clear that there was no blind siding from either side. I mean, right. It, it seemed like that everyone, maybe with the exception of Ring of Honor, knew what the game plan was in Ring of Honor. It, I mean, now we can pretty much tell that they were kidding themselves about thinking they would be okay. But it seems like that New Japan, like they were obviously trying to make the inroads immediately. It sounds like that meeting after the Tokyo Dome was done out of sheer politeness to say, yeah, we will meet with you. And then promptly saying, we are still working for Ring of Honor. We are still agreed to work with Ring of Honor in the Madison Square Garden show. So 
it's a, th that all just kind of makes sense. I mean, there's other things going on between the New Japan and Ring of Honor relationship that makes me think that it's not long for the world. But I would think by this point that with how Gato books and their brain trust that they would pretty much have the Tokyo Dome main events at least planned out this far. And if there was going to be a Kota Ibushi Omega match that they would already be building to it. And it's pretty clear that it's not. So I feel like that last thing just kind of confirms what everyone suspected. And if there's going to be a thawing of relationships, I think it would have to be, we're, we'll be looking into 2020, 2021 and just seeing like at that point, does new Japan even need an American an American partner because New Japan is someone that wants to be the dominant person in these relationships and AEW, it's clear that they don't want to be the submissive one. So I think it's just a confirmation of a lot. I feel like there's a lot of kind of cool things there about like the back history there that we could probably guess where Dave got that information from. Yeah. yeah so this, you know, there's not really a reason for New Japan to pursue a relationship right now, I guess is what we're coming around to because their business in Japan is doing great. And the number one advantage of having the AW relationship would be getting like Kenny Omega. And they don't need to do that right now. Cause they're going to have like two sold out domes at the end of the year with Adam. Um, and in the U S they're basically direct competition to AEW now. Cause that was their whole plan for this year. And the next few years was like genuine U S expansion with running shows on the East coast, running shows on the West coast, running a G1 show in the South and they have a dojo there to train their own students. Like there's not really a place where a relationship with the direct competitor fits into that. Now, could it work to their advantage? Like, you know, if they're an AEW new Japan slate of shows, like it's probably more appealing than, you know, either one of those alone. Um, but is it that much more appealing to somebody you're trying to pull away from WWE? Like does somebody from WWE or a WWE viewer really care to see, you know, Goto versus Joey Janela? Probably not. So, you know, th there's not, not a lot of motivation that I see on the new Japan end. So, uh, you know, we'll see how both promotions kind of go in the, uh, go in the near future. Well, the motivation that I see is if you take Dave's reporting at its word is that ever since the Bucks and Omega, left New Japan, the international New Japan subscriptions have fallen way off. And it seems that generally their American business has fallen off uh, directly as a result. So you can go two ways, right? You can, one, bring those guys back, do a relationship with AEW, and hope that pumps up your subscriptions. Now, I don't know, AEW might not want to do that. On the other hand, you can just say, all right, we're going to do the hard work of building our own base in the United States. And over time, as we grow, we'll get those subscriptions back up. But that could be a motivation. Yeah, I guess the the more likely answer there is that AEW doesn't really see a need to give American competition a leg up. Now, again, I think it's more likely that if you're an AEW fan, you're not going to go to New Japan exclusively like you would probably watch both. Like, you know, you're probably not competing for a ton of dollars there, especially when AEW isn't running a bunch of house shows and is only, you know, running limited dates. But yeah, you know, it, it, it's a different calculation. Like like Mike was talking about, the, the Ring of Honor New Japan relationship makes sense because New Japan can swoop in, introduce their stars to American fans who we know are willing to, you know, try outside companies. They can use their rings and they can, uh, you know, rely on their production relationships and shit. But then they can have all their stars win all the time and, you know, make themselves a more important company there. 
the AEW relationship, you know, those same benefits aren't there. And I think also when we talk about what a potential AEW New Japan relationship would be is you have to look at how their schedules would work out. With the exception of we don't know what they will probably be doing about during the NCAA basketball tournament, where they're I know their shows on I know there's games on Wednesday, not on Wednesday, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and there might be other programming that are going to try to move in there. This is going to be weekly products. So it's not like what happens if January 4th falls on a Wednesday? Like, are they going to be doing a tape show that day anyways? Like, it's just the way that like this would work versus the Ring of Honor relationship, which is tape for TV when needed and then big pay-per-views. It's just logistically a lot more complicated matter as well. So one issue with the Ring of Honor relationship is that that company is cratering. I don't think there's any way to disagree with that. Their houses are falling off. Their their pets' heads are falling off. Their the most recent pay-per-view, uh, Best in the World at Ring of Honor did had 1400 pay-per-view buys, which of course they have Honor Club, you know, so that eats some of that. Uh, but you look at Impact, who their most recent show did 1500 buys. And then you compare that to AEW, I mean, Fighter Fest did, I think, about 14,000 buys internationally, and Double or Nothing did 71,000 buys just in the United States. So obviously there's a difference because it's new, but there's no question that this is a much hotter product and that Ring of Honor is uh, dying a death. Yeah. I mean, look at Hammerstein. Uh Friend of the show, John Carroll, has been tracking the upcoming Hammerstein show, and I think it might be just that, 300 seats at a venue that they've been running for almost 15 years. So, yeah, it's a lot easier for New Japan to dictate terms to a company that's about to put on their worst show ever in New York City versus a company that is doing uh, 50 times the amount of buys as Ring of Honor. And there's neither here nor there, really, but if you presume that the best talent from Impact and Ring of Honor is going to go elsewhere when the opportunity arises. We already know WWE wants to sign up everybody. We see people in Impact like Brian Cage or Tessa Blanchard or you know LAX who have history with the Bucks and the Elite guys and uh, the All In show. So you know who knows what options they'll have on the table when their contracts come up. Um, same for like Jordan Grace, although I guess she resigned. Um, you wonder if both those companies lose all those people what do those companies do next it you know you have to imagine there's not enough talent and not enough established known drawing talent to support that many like mid-major television companies and maybe they have to consolidate it at some point all right i think those are all the uh, news bits that we have for this week i think it's time for btu recap okay my second doc all right, this episode is called Go Away Heat. Uh, and it opens with Leva Bates, their librarians. They approach the young, she approaches the young bucks who are doing some long-term booking on some uh, notepads here. Um, some of the notes that are on their notepads here are like title chase, question mark. Should Kenny be a jobber, question mark. Ghost, question mark. Kind of cute little things to keep an eye out for. Um, so, you know, they set up this bit where you know, Leva sounds like she's down and she doesn't know about this reception to the librarian gimmick, but then they swerve us. And, you know, she says the people are loving it. Um, and so Nick is like, Oh, well, you know, I was going to write this off, but you know, Leva's so into the gimmick. Let's do another year of it. Matt wants to do five more years of it. He wants all librarians all the time. 
Um, he wants the Baron Corbin push on librarians. Uh, and then he writes on his notepad where he's noted that uh, TNT starts October 2nd. He says, more comedy, question uh, mark? So kind of cute. Uh, this is like classic example of Young Bucks where they're getting what every action, they double down on it. This is like how they originally got over in PWG was just doubling down on the reaction. Um, so, you know, uh, all things considered, regardless of how you feel about the librarian gimmick, it's funny to see the double down, I guess. Uh, there's a little signing montage of them at some con in Florida. Uh, and they, they do a bit where there's a guy in a Mick Foley flannel shirt in line for the Young Bucks autograph line. And Mick Foley spots him and comes over and says, hey, you know, the, that guy's in my shirt. There's no crossover between my fans and your fans. You know, he's in my shirt. He should be in my line. Matt points out that all the guys in Mick's line have Young Bucks gear. So Mick realizes that he, uh, you know, doesn't want to look a gift horse in the mouth and they will take their money rather than getting rid of uh, all the Young Bucks fans. This was the uh, Florida Supercon that's been going on for like five or six years. I know that there's other people in the wrestling business, a part of it on Miami Beach. Never made it to it. But Supercon. Supercon. So many cons. People love autographs. I don't know. All right. The next segment, uh, Jungle Boys in the ocean, and he's sort of throwing his hands up in the air, and, and Rick Knock is out on the beach, um, and is worried that Jungle Boy's drowning, but uh, of course, the uh, Jungle Boy starts to rise out of the ocean, and we see that he's on Luchasaurus's shoulders, uh, and Rick Knox says, should have known. Uh, so this is a cute little bit. Uh, they've been doing stuff with Rick Knox, uh, especially on the Backstage of Fighter Fest episode, where he's been doing ref calls and, and doing more ref stuff uh, during real-life situations. Then we jump to SCU. They are waking up late in their hotel rooms and they all run into the hall at the same time. They're all half-dressed. Uh, they miss their flight and they get to the airport and they find that Peter Avalon, the second librarian, is also there at the airport. He also missed his flight. I don't know that what this was setting up. Maybe it's because they're all in California time that they got the Florida flight wrong, maybe? Maybe they're because it was all the partying that went on at Fighter Fest. You know, I mean... Wild scene at the uh, esports competitions. Could be. Um, all right. And then they've got Sean Spears at ringside at uh, Fighter Fest. I think he's killing mosquitoes by slapping himself. And Rick Knox thinks that's a tap out. So he tells the bellkeeper to ring the bell. This uh, was not funny. And Sean Spears is supposed to be like a big heel now. So kind of goofy. And was this his debut on Being the Elite? I feel like it was. So I think it might have been. Yeah, not a good debut from the Ting guy. No, dud, huge dud. All right, and uh, now we got BT Mailbag. This is a short episode. Maybe I just skipped a lot of it. Uh, Brandon Cutler has asked what his dream cosplay is, uh, and he says he thinks he has the face of Jafar, so he'd like to do Jafar from Aladdin. I can kind of see what he means in the face. Um, you know, bordering on problematic, but he's a big cosplay guy. Ban cosplay. I'm surprised you're against cosplay. Take it easy there, Rovert. Ban the term cosplay. Oh, you just don't like the term. That's it. You don't like I hate the term. Play. Not a fan of costume play. Okay. It's fine. It's a very weird term. It sounds perverted, but it isn't, and I resent that. I know what you mean. The but it could very easily just be like a a sex thing. Yeah, like yeah. breath play, you know? Yeah. But it's not. Shout out to Julie. Uh, Matt Jackson, BTM Mavag, is asked why he and Nick keep poking fun at the Rhodes moments from Double or Nothing to build the match. That's why. They're building a match. Um, 
but he says he's basically seen enough of the moment. Uh, and they show a little bit where Nick does, you know, oh, you know, I don't need a tag partner. I don't need a whatever. I need my older brother to call an Uber because they're waiting for a car. So little put a little punchline on it. And then we go to Scorpio Sky, who's going to throw to cast, introduce SU's match for a fight for the fallen. Uh, it's Lucha Brothers, them versus Lucha Brothers. Uh, very just cheesy thing where they're yelling at the, the camera as it switches from one to the other. Um, and Christopher Daniels will be at ringside. So if you're trying to see Christopher Daniels on this show, he will be there. And the story is that SCU should have been in the conversation as the best tag team all along. That's why they want the match and to beat the Lucha Brothers here. Um, so yeah, nothing, nothing really here. Okay. Well, all that's, right. That's this week's BTE. Yeah, I was going to, uh, I had an idea that I was going to do because I saw there was a recent, recent match announcement by GCW for All Out Weekend. Uh, pretty fun one. The Manser against Jerry the King Lawler will be on the JC, GCW show over All Out Weekend. That's the one they're running in conjunction with Black Label Pro. Is it possible Twitter is down again? It's uh, no, I'm reading. I, I'm not reading while recording this podcast, I promise, but I know that Twitter's up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. I'll just go on my, in my data and see if that's any better. So I was going to try and like run down some of these other shows on All Out Weekend because there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, Mick Foley has been added to the Warrior Wrestling Show, which also has Tessa Blanchard, Andrew Everett, Michael Elgin, Templario, Sam Adonis, Dragon Lee, Soberano Jr., Atlantis, Caristico, Daga, Brian Pillman Jr., Frank the Clown, who's good, Wardlow, future AEW talent, Austin Aries, Phoenix, Filthy Tom Lawler, Ultimo Guerrero, Penta L Zero M, uh, and Brian Cage, who is the current champion. Tons of talent on there. It feels like that it's like the Chicago version of Defiant Wrestling. Oh, that's the uh, that UK one. That UK promotion that no one ever tries hard in. <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't. When I saw the only guys that tried hard when I went to one of their shows were the undercard lucha guys like yeah. El, El Gringo Loco. Mm-hmm. So. You know, that, that, that's what you're going to get on that show. But a lot of, you know, unique CMLL Lucha talent that you're probably not going to see come to your local show. Yeah, they do a great job of marketing the the CMLL and the, like, Luchadors. Like, it, that seems to be, like, a big focus for them. So that that is a show that I'm still considering staying in town for. Yeah, there's a whole bunch. Let's see what else we got on the Two Cups Stuffed. GCW and Black Label Pro Show. Like I said, Jerry the King Lawler against Mance Warner the Mancer. That may be the only match announced to this point. I think that's correct. And then there is, of course, also the AAW Big Multi-Day Singles Tournament. Oh, here we go. Two Cups Stuffed also has Black Taurus versus Steve Payne versus the aforementioned El Gringo Loco versus Ray Horace versus Ares. Ares? Ares? Versus Ophidian. Ares, you had it. Aris, I thought I had it. And today should be the first AEW talent announcements. Let's see if they've come in over the last hour. No, they haven't. So stay tuned. I'll retweet those announcements probably whenever they make them. But lots of shows to see, lots of uh, opportunity to see new people, and new people are fun. That's right. So make sure you're keyed in to at everything AEW on Twitter. See all those match announcements as they come. We like to, you know, shout out the whole All Out weekend or these weekends around these shows. So. And I'm sure we will be at several of these shows. So we'll talk about that as we get closer where we're going to be. Uh, I think that's it. So I'm just going to do the plugs now. I shouldn't say that because then people will X out of their podcast. <laughs> Big, great 
twist ending coming up after the plug. Stay tuned, everyone. That's right. Follow us on Twitter at everything AEW. You can find me at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah, that's Fuji with two eyes like Don Fuji. Make sure you're subscribing to the show. You can find us on our independent feed, Everything Elite. Search that on the podcast app of your choice or subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network and get us along with all the other shows on that network. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Five-star ratings only, or we will roast you on this show as we did last week. Man, that might encourage people. Yeah, no, so. we don't want to make it sound too uh, uh, yeah. before, before we go, uh, thanks to everyone who's following us on Twitter. We crossed 1,000 followers this week. So yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. I'm a little mad it took this account much shorter time than it took me on my own account. Oh, I wonder why, Nate. I don't know. Why? Yeah. Why? Because it's AEW related, and we've been doing a great job. This is three people working at this for versus your own personal brand. I I tweet with the energy of three people. That's true. That's fair. I'm, I'm a little bummed about my brand because I was getting close to 500 followers, and then I've dipped back down. You're you're antisocial on Twitter is the issue. What do I need to do, Nate? Just like I don't know, be nice and engage people and follow people and, and things like that. Yeah, I follow 100 accounts. Yeah, that's. Yeah. You're stingy. You're withholding. I, I like a good follow follower ratio, but you have to get at least get that bump that up to like 150, buddy. But the, I don't just like it's not like there are accounts I'm dying to follow that I'm not following. But also, how many different Twitter accounts do you have? If you count the everything elite account, I have three. I mean, that's the deal there. Consult. Yeah, I don't, it's not a, you don't know if somebody's a good follow until you follow them, to be honest. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. I, I just kind of wait and see if I see people retweeted into my feed a lot and I like their their stuff. Mm. Then, you know, I follow them. That's fair. Yeah, Nate? retweets seem rare in this day and age. <laughs> Except Kara. Kara retweets up a storm. She does. Kara's great. All right. Well, I just, you know, I don't know. Maybe I need to be nicer on Twitter. I, I got, I got a, uh, I got an Oatgan retweet the other day. If you can believe wow. it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. a stunner. Yeah, the rarest thing at all on Twitter is the Oatgan retweet. No, I'm not man. even sure that he faved it. He might have only retweeted it. That's a strong, very powerful move. Power no, move. In his character. Yeah. yeah. But okay. I did. You know, I had, I had myself a little celebration. Like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I'm sure Oatgan's never retweeted me for sure. <laughs> Nate, are you going to put in your uh, Twitter bio, retweeted by Oatgan? It's <laughs> <laughs> going to say, noticed by at Oatgan. 7, 10, 19. Right. <laughs> DM'd right. by Johnny Gargano. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> there, there was a twist ending, everyone. So There was more talk. A lot of good content after the plugs. So Fight for the Fallen on Saturday. We'll be back next week to review Fight for the Fallen. And then, folks, we're going to get on that long road to All Out, and that'll be uh, the next big show. So keep checking in with us. I don't. I got nothing else. That's it. For Nate, for Mike, I'm Aaron, and we will see you next time. I